When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Well, honestly, we're always trying to find better players at all the positions. And, uh, you know, um, every team has certain holes. But, you know, it's not necessarily in the draft. We can take care of those things through free agency. We can take care of them. Um, you know, with trades or any, any other combination of things. Okay, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback and our journeyman correspondent, Sage Rosenfels here, and it is draft week, Sage. Are you amped? Are you jacked? I'm amped, and I am grinding the tape. Yes! It's like 70 degrees out. It's absolutely perfect, and I am grinding the tape today. Today was uh, Jake Fromm was my morning. I watched a couple games of his. He sort of reminds me of Kirk Cousins a little bit. Uh, Maybe doesn't have as big an arm, but uh, sort of like your, you know, nothing exceptional is athleticism, but good timing, good decision-making, an accurate thrower, throws a nice ball. And and so, you know, Jake's one of those, or I should say uh, Kirk is one of the guys fourth round draft pick because he didn't have all that upside would end up being a you know good nfl quarterback and so that was my guy this morning and i might dip into you know guys like jordan love and 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 maybe a little more justin herbert these guys that uh uh you know have a wide range it seems like uh, i saw peter king had jordan love uh, the utah state quarterback as a second rounder uh-huh. yep. some people have him as a top 10 pick so i want to dive a little bit more into him and and i'll shoot some of those videos out on twitter uh, this afternoon now on Purple Daily. Every football team eventually arrives at a lead play, a number one play, a bread and butter play. It's time for Sage to grind the tape. <laughs> bread and butter. Bread and butter play. What's what's your favorite bread and butter play? Uh, the old fullback dive? It just guarantees you a yard and a half? Well, you know, it depends on where we are. But uh, first, first down, nice little outside zone handoff to Delvin Cook. That'll get us to... Uh, Second and four, and then we can run a little play action, right? Deep cross. Bread and butter. Yeah, yes, because you have to have bread the bread to have the to butter. Have the butter you have to have right? the butter to have the bread. The or, butter is the play action. That's right. So the, so, the, so the bread is the outside zone to Dalvin. That's correct. The butter, the tasty stuff, that's the play action <laughs> uh, to some wide receiver deep down the field. Yeah, so can I ask you more about Jake Fromm? Uh, is he interesting to you at all for the Vikings? Because, uh, you know, we can debate all day long about whether it's a good idea or not to have 
a quarterback drafted in the first three rounds. But if you're the Vikings and you like somebody as a potential future option to replace Kirk Cousins down the road, or even to give you solid backup play, if any organization in football, Sage, is going to say it's a good idea to have quality backup play, it's the team that just a couple of years ago went 13-3 and with their backup, or in 98 or in 87, all journeyman backup quarterbacks, or uh, Randall Cunningham was a, a star at one point, but a backup at that point, and end up going to NFC Championship games. So it does make sense. It does give you value to have a good young backup quarterback as well. Is he a guy that sticks out to you? He does. And, again, when you don't see the, the high-end talent, the natural abilities, the, you know, I don't know how tall he is. Maybe he was at 6'1", 6'2", at the most uh, at the Combine. So he's a little bit smaller guy. But what I saw, I was impressed. I, he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers ever. Uh, he's not going to be Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Pat Mahomes. But uh, as a guy that if you draft in the third, you know, fourth round, if you would slide that far, I do see a lot of value there. You know, when you're picking one of those guys, you're going, okay, at the very worst, this guy can be our backup, mm-hmm. maybe right away. And uh, and I do think he'd probably be an upgrade. I do like Sean Mannion, but I, I was pretty impressed by what I saw from uh, uh, from. Uh, Jake Fromm this morning. So, but he's one of those guys who could be a solid backup. And the thing is, right out of the gates, you can tell that he's been sort of professionally coached a little bit more mm-hmm. than other quarterbacks at the college level. For one, you know, Brian Schottenheimer, he was at Georgia a while ago. They run a little more pro style. This is the Seattle Seahawks uh, offensive coordinator. They run a very, very pro style type of system. And uh, so the end, and I, you can see in the film also, he's adjusting protections. He's talking to the line. He's talking to his backs. You don't see that a lot in college football. It's the old fake snap, look at the sidelines, and they tell you what to do. I feel like he has a lot of ownership in that offense. And of course, has played really well at a high level in the, in, the, in the best conference in America, in my opinion, the SEC. And the fact that he had you know, three SEC championship games, he'd have a national championship if Tua wouldn't have had that you know, great uh, uh, run uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I was impressed. I think he's a guy that at the very worst would be a backup, but you know, does have starter-type uh, potential, especially when you see a guy like Kirk Cousins playing very well within this type of system. Yeah, I think Jake Fromm would, would be a, a good pick in those you know middle rounds, but I'm not sure if he'll drop that far. Always interesting to me, too, is the guy that has the hype when he is young in college, and then it sort of fades away, maybe because he's around. Like He, he didn't do anything to deserve uh, you know, just fading out of the spotlight. It's that other guys show up who are more exciting. Like you mentioned, Jordan Love, who at his high end is really exciting, and at his low end is absolutely awful. Um, but you know, he's got you the tools exciting and to tall. Me? Yep. You know what's exciting to me? Guys that win football games. Yeah. And I know, yeah. again, like the NFL, it's it's a little different deal, but he won football games in the SEC. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to do, and you're dealing with – absurd defensive linemen in that conference. They have hands down the most D linemen go to the NFL. It's also, in a lot of ways, it's almost a, a run first conference because the D linemen are so good. They don't want yeah. to put their quarterbacks in those situations. So he's just been in sort of pro style. You know, you're not getting a, a real like rookie rookie. Like 
guy who's got some seasoning to them, and especially if you want a guy you know play right away or be a backup right away, uh, you know those air raid guys. I think there's some potential there because they've thrown so many footballs, like in the like Anthony Gordon, the Mike Leach offense. They've just made a million throws, and they know they have to throw to win the game. Mm-hmm. But they're also really raw from a schematic standpoint. It might take them a couple of years to sort of learn the NFL game and the footwork and those types of things. I think a guy like Fromm is one of those guys that could step in fairly early in play. He certainly has terrific numbers. 78 touchdowns to 18 interceptions and over 8 yards per attempt. His first two years as a freshman and sophomore averaged 9 yards an attempt, and then last year their offense took a bit of a step back with Jake Fromm. But uh, he has the numbers to be interesting in this draft, and what we've seen from the draft with quarterbacks is sometimes a guy who goes in the second round or the third round ends up turning out to be, even though he had some warts or some concerns that he wasn't the most physically gifted, turns into uh, a, a pretty darn good quarterback in the NFL. So maybe if you know Jake Fromm is a Derek Carr or something like that, uh, that's pretty good. I mean, Derek Carr's not a you know, three-time Super Bowl winner or something. But if you draft a quarterback in the second round and that's what he turns into, you've got to hit somebody who gives you a chance to win and uh, that you sign to a second contract and so forth. So that is one of my things, uh, Sage, in an article I wrote about what this draft will tell us about the Vikings' blueprint. So the direction in which they go whether it's making trades or which positions they pick, will tell us a lot about how they feel about a number of things. And this is a good place to start with Jake Fromm. I also included Jalen Hurts or your guy Jacob Eason in this uh, in my write-up. If the Vikings draft a quarterback that is before the fourth round, I think it tells us that they do have an eye on the future of that position. And it's eyebrow-raising that the no-trade clause Kirk Cousins had in his last contract does not exist anymore. That says, at very least, that that would be in the conversation potentially at some point. Um, Because why else would you not have it anymore if you were certainly locked into him? Yeah, there's another scenario to where, let's just say they draft a guy and they just sort of fell in love with him. I mean, this was sort of what happened with Kirk Cousins early in his career. He was never drafted to be the starter. Mm-hmm. But Washington really just, they really liked him. They saw him as a star that maybe had dropped, again, at the very worst, like a backup. He ended up being better than RG3, and he ended up being that starter. Um, but uh, and, and, and then if, if, if Kirk ends up, you know, say, being traded because they really like some guy they draft in the third round, uh, you know, there's an aspect where you have a really inexpensive quarterback, and so you could take whatever salary cap hit that is if you feel like the younger guy uh, gave you a chance to be more successful than Kirk because you saw more upside long-term, obviously much, you know. Having a rookie quarterback, or having I shouldn't say rookie, having a quarterback on that first contract uh, and, and not a, another expensive one on the roster is a really big advantage for these NFL teams. You save a ton of money in the salary cap that you can spend somewhere else. And there definitely is a sort of a, uh, a regular history as we look back on, on guys under that first contract getting to Super Bowls. Uh, maybe not always winning them, but definitely getting to Super Bowls. I mean, Jared Goff just a couple of years ago. So uh, it does help to have that inexpensive quarterback to, to really boost your roster. And history looks pretty good for teams that even though they had a quarterback in place, decided to pick someone. Now, it hasn't always worked out, of course. But, uh, you know, somebody like Dak Prescott, they have Tony Romo on that team, and they're assuming they're going to go forward with him. Then he gets hurt, and Dak Prescott, all of a sudden, you're in, and he becomes a franchise quarterback. Even someone like Jimmy Garoppolo has turned out to be a very good NFL quarterback, 
the Patriots, if Tom Brady had fallen off, they would have handed the ball over to another guy who was really good and good enough to take them to a Super Bowl. And the Russell Wilson pick is another one that I look at and say, okay, in the third round, they got hammered for that because they had just gotten Matt Flynn to be their future quarterback. Turns out Matt Flynn was a one-hit wonder in that crazy game against Detroit. And Six touchdown passes made that game so <laughs> yes, much money. Yes. Hats uh, off to him. I give him my, you know... $15 million signing bonus, I think, or something like that. And All-time that great journeyman game. moments, for sure. Man, But, Good. you know, th- these moments are these, I'm sorry, these things, these decisions don't always work out that great. But think about that 2015, or I'm sorry, 2012 draft. Russell Wilson, Nick Foles, Kirk Cousins go off the board at 75, 88, and 102. Wilson becomes a Hall of Famer. Nick Foles wins a Super Bowl and has a really great year early in his career when uh, Michael Vick got hurt. Kirk Cousins becomes darn near Washington's franchise quarterback. If nor- I think a normal franchise locks up Kirk Cousins for a very long time in that situation. So, uh, you know, it's worth doing with somebody There's who shows less- you something good. There's less risk for like the general manager or the head coach. Oh yeah. Right? yeah I yeah. mean Kellen Clemens, right? Remember Kellen Clemens? I, I can't remember where he played in college, but he was a second round draft pick by the Jets. Never Rams and Jets, out. yeah. And people don't sit there and go like, Oh man, like they should fire everybody because they drafted the, the quarterback in the second round that did that did not end up being a starter. So there's sort of like a little bit less uh, risk there. Uh, you draft a first-round quarterback, it doesn't go well. Everybody remembers that. Everybody will remember the Christian Ponder mistake yep. for years and for decades probably. But if there was a second or third rounder, people would forget it like two years later. Yeah. I mean, there's yep. just less to, to lose if you're a GM or head coach to draft a quarterback that you saw some of that first-round talent maybe uh, in the second or third round. And, uh, you know, and shoot, the first round's a, it's a crap shoot anyway. I mean, it's like 50-50 in the first round. Maybe it's... 70 30 in the second round but uh you know you, you lose a, you, you, your opportunity to be successful is a little bit less but also your risk is much less as well and uh, so i think that the direction they could possibly take here with a quarterback if it's before the fourth round it will tell us yes we are as an organization putting an eye on what could be down the road even if this guy never becomes anything it will at least tell us that now i've got some other things that I think we can learn from in this draft. And I'm going to lay them out for you, and you tell me which one is most interesting to you. Uh, Whether they want to win in 2020 or 2021 could depend on trades and what position they draft. Um, Defense, are they still going to follow the defense wins championships type philosophy? Uh, Adam Thielen and whether they think he can carry the load. Delvin Cook's contract and which developing players they believe in. Um, is there one of those topics that stands out to you? Well, the Dalvin Cook contract is just sort of like that cloud that sort of hangs over everything mm-hmm. that you sort of like are trying not to look at, uh, and you know it's just there. And then there's just the question of do you pay him? We saw the Christian McCaffrey, you know, big contract by Carolina, but then there's a you know recent history of you know you should not pay a lot of money for your running back. I mean, mm-hmm. San Francisco's running attack was so good last year. And their their top running back Mostert was on his sixth NFL team, uh, so you know how much is it scheme and line versus the actual talent? We all know Dalvin is so good that man, you, you'd hate to not have him on this football team. But do you give him fifteen plus million dollars yeah. a year? Uh, and that's you know then it takes away from maybe two or three starters on defense. Uh, I think this team stays with defense. They I think they have a, just a general. 
plan, general philosophy of defense and, and, and running game, but the running game is probably just as much, if not more, line than it is running back. And I think that they still, and they should. You know, I don't see Kirk Cousins winning 10, 11, 12 football games because of him having to go into a, a race of trying to outscore the other team because the defense isn't very good. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a recipe for a 6-10 and 10 Viking season. I think if you have a really good defense, Kirk plays better as part of a, a team, and that's with a, a really good defense. In a running game, that you don't have to have a premier back to have a good running game, in particular in this style uh, of this Rick Dennison, Gary Kubiak zone scheme. I think what the trade of Stefan Diggs told us is that they were doubling down on believing that the run-and-play defense around Kirk Cousins is still the way to win, that you know Zimmer's philosophy is exactly what they want and what they believe in. So that would point me toward them investing heavily in cornerbacks, three-technique defensive tackle, defensive end, positions like that that they need safety, potentially if they move on from Anthony Harris, though uh, there's a report that they're opening up negotiations again. And even signing Anthony Harris and drafting corners instead of a young safety would point toward we still believe that giving Zimmer a bunch of talent and hoping that he develops it into a number 1 defense is the way to make us a Super Bowl contender. Now, on the Delvin Cook point, The biggest shock of the draft would be if in the second round, maybe even in the third round, if they took one of the better running backs on the board. There will still be, at the end of the second round, great running backs on the board. There always are, because no one is taking them in the first round. But if they decided, say, in the second round to take, I don't know, Cam Akers out of Florida State or J.K. Dobbins out of Clemson, if they took one of those guys, that would be a clear message that they don't think they're going to be able to work out this contract with Delvin Cook. It would be totally surprising because I think you look that at a trade at that point. Then, yeah, are, you are would. You yeah, like, you definitely you would trade Dalvin Cook to so and so team, and in hopes of getting a couple of draft picks. And of course, that team would want to you know have a, a contract in place because he's going to want that. You wouldn't want. I mean. It does blow me away that a couple of these NFL teams, including the Rams last year, to give up you know draft picks without some sort of extension contract for the player. Yeah, that's going to be expensive and complex, and what that they didn't do that, and some other teams have done that, you know as well. But uh, you know that would if the if the Vikings were to draft a running back in the first half of the draft, you got to think. Dalvin Cook would be on the trading block at that point. And it's not, again, it's not because like they don't probably love him as a player. It's just what is the value of that position? Where's this team at right now and what does it need? And, uh, and, and Madison did play really well last year. He's not the same player, but he did play well and he's consistent. And I, and I do think this zone scheme has a lot to do, uh, the running game has a lot to do with the scheme and the guys up front. And they could, again, they could add maybe some players to the mix. Uh, uh, you know, maybe it's, they end up doing this Trent Williams trade. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that would make the offensive line of the running game a lot better if they had that guy up front as well. So, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a really interesting week. Of all the teams in the NFL, I do think the Vikings are probably one of five, six teams that are I, I find uh, you know very interesting for this draft because they do have those three or four spots that they definitely need starters right now. And then there's the other aspects of you know, do you have a long term upgrade at quarterback? Do you have a uh, an alternate to Dalvin Cook possibly uh, uh, because of that contract situation? So it should be a really interesting. Uh, next four or five days for the Minnesota Vikings. Definitely. So uh, later in the show, Courtney Cronin and I are going to give our five most interesting teams 
for draft week, and the Vikings have to be on your list. Uh, if you're doing non-Vikings, then you know there's a bunch of other teams that have interesting things going on about them. But if you were doing an all-league team, uh, a group of teams that you can't wait to see what they do, having two first-round picks and so many needs puts them up there. Let me lay out a scenario for you as it would, relates. Would you say the Patriots? Would you say the Patriots are just because, like, obviously oh, yeah. they're in need for another? The, the, who's next? So, who, if they do end up getting a quarterback in the first couple rounds, you got to think people that's going to be a big story. Uh, I think Tampa Bay is just going to be interesting in general because Tom Brady's there now, and mm-hmm. so like they're just one of those. They've gone from like the the small market team to now somebody I think everyone's going to be covering. You know, every day of of camp or these preseason games or whatever it might be. You know, a lot of uh, 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 heat will be around that team, but you know, it should be really interesting. I think the Vikings, as you said, the Vikings are one of those five teams that have a lot of interest in this draft. Yeah, for sure. So we will put out our uh, our lists of the top five most interesting, Courtney Cronin and I, in the second half of the show. And then we're going to go back and, dra- and uh, grade some drafts from the past because they say, you know, you need three years to grade a draft. So we're going to look at a couple and give some draft grades. But let me lay out this running back scenario for you. Let's say that uh, you're Rick Spielman and you're looking at uh, all your scouting reports for running backs, and you've gotten your list. Okay, these are the top five running backs in the draft. And you get to the second round, and the top running back on your scouts' list is still on the draft board. Just how This is how it's played out. So this is your number one guy. Let's just say, for example, it is Cam Akers of Florida State. Your scouts think this is the best running back in the entire draft. He's still on the board. Do you take him there if you're the Vikings knowing the – Situation is on rocky ground with Delvin Cook. I think to do that, you would have to have those discussions right now with some possible other teams that you would know in the back of your mind we do have a trade partner uh, that if we do make that draft pick, that there's at least one, if not a few teams out there that we know would want Delvin Cook because you'd hate to draft a guy and then now we have three starting running backs on the football team. You know, and, and none of them are really pass catchers. They're more all, you know, your traditional, you know, tailback, eyebacks or whatever. So I, I think you'd have to have some of some some discussions right now, just to know that you could move on from Dalvin if one of those guys falls to you. Yeah, I think spending even that high of a draft asset on a running back would be too high for me. But if it's the number one on your board. Yeah, and you truly believe? I mean, th- this team truly believed that Delvin Cook would be a superstar when they drafted him, and they were exactly right. And I think if there's a position that is the has the lowest bust rate on in terms of teams think this guy's going to be great, and he is running back is probably up there. Now I could be wrong. I mean, there's certainly busts. Leonard Fournette has not been what they thought, and Trent Richardson and all that. But a lot of teams get proven right on running backs because so many sort of, of them are. are good. You sort of are what you are, and you've got so many, uh, so much film. You mm-hmm. know, almost going back to high school, but they, they've had, they've seen you so many times, and, and runners don't all of a sudden just vastly improve. But other, you know, positions, uh, you know, say an offensive lineman who didn't have great coaching in college or whatever, your quarterback or some, you know, some offenses or receivers. A lot of times are only as good as their quarterback and coordinator and all those types of things. But running back is one of those positions. When you see a talented guy, it sort of jumps out at the, at the screen on the screen at you, and, and you don't see as many misses as a lot of the other positions. So again, it's highly unlikely that they'll do that. And if I'm putting down my bets, it is a vast, vast uh, majority of my dollars that are going toward the Vikings. Sign Delvin Cook. They love him. 
ownership, general manager, head coach, teammates, everybody top to bottom loves Delvin Cook. But if you were being uh, very shrewd, I guess, and, and you were trying to play the odds... Belichickian. Um, yeah, Belichickian. exactly, right. Like yeah. like ice cold about this decision and only looking at dollars and cents of potential production, um, you probably do make that draft pick and have somebody else on a rookie contract as opposed to allocating that many dollars to a running back, even if Delvin Cook is special. Um, you know, the, maybe the combination of two or three guys can make up for that if you are looking at it only from that way. But the Vikings in the past uh, have thought that running back was a position worth investing quite a bit in. Um, what has been what has been the talk from Dalvin Cook's camp about if he doesn't have a contract? Has there been much said about this? You know, going to his last year of his deal, correct? Yeah, it is. So if he doesn't have a contract, if he'll hold out, yeah. or you know, what what has been that talk? I've heard that it's very unlikely he would go to training camp without a contract extension. Um, and that doesn't matter to me at all. Like that, I mean, I've seen enough running backs show up week one and sure. do just fine. I know there's always talk about, you know, where they fumble and they haven't been hit and all these different things. But, you know, I was a lot of teams barely play their running back anyway, at least during the preseason games. And, yeah, I think he'll stay in shape and those types of things. But that doesn't worry me about holding out during training camp. It's not great. But to me, it's all about when the season starts. Will Dalvin Cook play? And that's, that's to me, is my question. Yeah, that one I don't know because then you sort of put yourself into Melvin Gordon range of making a huge mistake. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Arrested Development lately. You ever watch that show, Sage? I have watched a few episodes, but not uh, not not as often as you, I uh, imagine. I do uh, like Jason Bateman. He's in that show, right? Yes, he is. So there's another Will Arnett's character plays Jason Bateman's like really ridiculous brother, and his tag, like his sort of saying tagline or whatever you call it in the show is, "I've made a huge mistake." And so, you know, I I think that Delvin Cook, if he decided not to play and just sit out, would end up in the "I've made a huge mistake." type of realm because that doesn't seem to ever benefit running backs whether it's Le'Veon Bell or Melvin Gordon uh, Ezekiel Elliott took it to the very last minute but even he was smart enough to say okay let's take what they're offering here because uh, if I sit out actual games it's I'm not going to win this battle and it's probably the same for Delvin Cook so if, if you had a sense if you were the Vikings and you had a sense that Cook's demands were just going to be too high and you couldn't match them, then it would make sense. It would be surprising, but um, we would then know that, okay, this situation looks like it's pretty uneasy with Delvin Cook because they just drafted a running back in the second round or something like that. So let's uh, take a break. When we come back, I want to look at the Trent Williams possibility and what that or other picks Uh, along the offensive line would potentially say about the Vikings' blueprint for the future. We will do that when we return. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, plus EJ Manuel joins us for a couple minutes, former Bills and Raiders quarterback. We'll do that when we return on Purple Daily. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local Federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. 
Jonathan here with the Score North download. In times like these, you may not be thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or use the keyword red over at scorenorth.com. Also, right now, over at scorenorth.com, we have Chapter 3 of Matthew Collar and Eric Seeger book on the 20 greatest journeyman quarterback seasons of all time, looking at seasons 10 through 6 in the best journeyman seasons of all time over at scorenorth.com right now. That's all for free over at that website, scorenorth.com, and the free Scorenorth mobile app. Go check them out for free. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. Expected to have EJ Manuel here in a couple of minutes. He now works as an analyst for ACC Network, uh, breaking down college football. So we'll ask him what he thinks of some of the quarterbacks in the draft. But, uh, Sage, before we get to that, I want to know what you think it would say about the vision for 2020 and beyond if the Vikings did make a trade for Trent Williams. Let's say that they don't have to give up a ton of draft assets because Washington's not really in a great position to deal, but that they give up a fourth-round pick and they get Trent Williams back. Because I think that that says you're sort of pushing your chips to the middle of the table, saying we still want to be a Super Bowl contender for 2020 because we just went out and got a 33-year-old all-pro tackle. Yeah, but you know, tackle is one of those positions that I feel like those guys are playing fairly long. Yeah, you know, that's true. Andrew Whitworth uh, is a most recent guy that comes to mind, the the left tackle of the Rams, yep. who people sort of thought he was at the end of his career. He goes out there. He's a big athletic guy. Was it Cincinnati, I think, for most of his career? Mm-hmm. And uh, goes out there and I think was all pro, uh, definitely the pro Bowl for at least a year or two. You know, with those Rams, and so I and Trent Williams is a freak athlete. He understands this system, and that's a big thing too. I mean, he steps right in. This yes. is his system. He has been in this type of thing, the zone scheme. Uh, the left tackle in the zone scheme is the most important of the offensive linemen, in my opinion, because when you do the play action. They more often than not are the ones that are by themselves. Uh, I could go into the details of that, but in the various types of play action that Kubiak likes to do, the left tackle has the hardest job. He's a lot of times just by himself. He doesn't always have a tight end next to him, and uh, he just ends up sort of being uh, 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 by himself. So th- I think that would be an upgrade, and I think he's one of those types of guys that will play for another you know, three years, four years at a very, very high level. And for a fourth-round draft pick, of course, you have to deal with the compensation, the financial compensation. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, I I think that would improve this football team for the next, you know, three, four years. All right, we'll get back to that conversation in a minute. But now we welcome in, he is a college football analyst on ACC Network, a former Buffalo Bill and Oakland Raider quarterback, EJ Manuel. Hi, EJ, how are you? Hey, guys, good. How are you? Uh, we're doing well. You're on with Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback, Sage Rosenfels as well. And I want to start out by just asking you about, uh, I, we have a joke with Sage about grinding the quarterback tape. So have you yeah. been, have you been breaking down the, the quarterbacks in this draft? And give me somebody that is not Tua or Joe Burrow that stands out to you and why. Yeah, well, I'll tell you two guys, uh, Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts. You know, I actually went back and watched a couple games for Jordan. Uh, you know, and I was looking at the interception issues. A lot of times, of course, as a quarterback guy, I'm going to have the quarterback back, of course, right? But some of those picks weren't on him. You know, sometimes it might have been Jordan thrown with, you know, uh, some early 
uh, you know, early tempo, is trying to get the ball out on time and a receiver might be late or might run an extra step on a slant, things like that that might have caused the ball to get tipped up in the air. And then you look up, he has 17 picks on the year. So that's something that I'm sure teams are alarmed about. But I think under the right coaching staff, under the right offensive situation, uh, they'll clean that up pretty quickly. And then a guy like Jalen Hurts, I really think the game is starting to turn toward the trend of a guy that can throw and run. And I think uh, you look at the success that Taysom Hill has had, and I'm not saying the team will ask Jalen to play a different position, but you know when you draft a guy, whether he's in the first or the second round, I think he adds that ability to have really more talent. I think he answered a lot of those accuracy questions at the Senior Bowl this year as well. So, And, of course, he threw the ball really well at the Combine. So those are two guys that aren't necessarily in the top three in most people's drafts, but I think those two guys will make some noise once they get in the NFL. Is there somebody that you look at as maybe a diamond in the rough? You know, we, we know that so many NFL teams, and the Vikings are one of those teams uh, with Rick Spielman. They love taking a quarterback in those later rounds, sixth round, seventh round. You know, you sort of take a flyer in a guy. Maybe he, you luck out and you have Tom Brady. But uh, is yep. there anybody that just has some certain characteristics, some natural ability, maybe a smaller school guy that you saw that could be maybe a seventh round, sixth round draft pick yep. for the Vikings? Yeah, so Jamar Smith from La Tech, and I don't know if the Vikings will necessarily pick him, but I think he's extremely talented. I think he has a beautiful, a beautiful release. His dad actually played in the league. Uh, I forgot. I think his name is Kenny Smith. He played at Alabama and played D line in the NFL for a long time. So to me, Jamar is one of those guys that kind of stood out. I actually had a chance to watch him play versus Miami uh, in their bowl game back in December, and uh, you know, to me, he looked like a pro quarterback. Of course, he's not necessarily in the top five or top even ten as far as you know prospects at that position but I think somebody will give him an opportunity I don't know if he'll be a draft pick but I do know if he gets an opportunity to go to a camp for someone he'll make somebody's team and if you haven't seen uh, Ty- uh, Tyler Huntley play at all EJ I-, I suggest checking him out a little bit I I like how quick he gets rid of the ball accuracy things like that I you know I, I don't know how you feel about this EJ but I think that uh, quarterbacks who are not first overall, second overall picks have a better shot than ever to do something yeah. like Gardner Minshew did, um, even though they're still far behind coming from college to the NFL. I, I feel like the development of quarterbacks from a young age of learning how to actually play the position um, and their access to people like my friend Sage Rosenfels here to train them and things like that has given uh, people an opportunity to have you know the Dak Prescotts of the world, the Russell Wilsons, the Kirk Cousins, who are not necessarily those top picks who can step in. So I, I think it's a good idea, even though the Vikings are set, to still take a close look at this quarterback class. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, of course it's all nice to go in the first round or the second round. It looks really cool. You obviously make a lot more money early, you know, early on in your career. But like you said, I mean, if you're able to go third, fourth, fifth round, one, there's no pressure on you. So you go into a situation where you're not going to be the starter. They're not asking of you to go out there and win, you know, 16 games, 16 weeks in a row, things like that. So you know, after practice, you're not only – because you don't get all the reps in practice. So mm-hmm. you're staying back for 20 minutes. You're doing extra stuff with the quarterback coach. You're taking other undrafted rookie free agent court, uh, wide receivers and doing routes and things with them. And as you do that week in, week out, you look up in your second, your third year, you have a quarterback that's ready to play. So, again, it's not almost – it's not always about how you start in the draft. It's really about where you go. That's why I think the fit for all these quarterbacks is so important because you guys make a great point. You know, you look at a guy like Nate Stanley, he probably won't be, uh, you know, even taking the third or the fourth round. He might go in the fifth or sixth. And he ended, he could be one of those guys very well that, you know, goes somewhere and plays behind another great quarterback. And uh, he learns from him the ins and outs, and he ends up being a, a great quarterback himself. So, you know, whether you go first or whether you go last, it really doesn't matter. And I think the best person to say that 
is Tom Brady. I mean, he went what super late in the draft, and you look back twenty years later, he is who he is. So you know, it, it, it's all a matter of what situation you go into and who's going to be able to teach you. Well, and, and since you played at Florida State and you're on a Vikings radio station here, we have to ask you about Christian Ponder. Obviously, first-round draft pick. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Delvin Cook. No, no, no. I'm going to ask you about Ponder. And you, while well, you followed him, right? You, got, you obviously have a, a relationship with him. I have no idea if you're close friends or anything. Yeah. But uh, and I know you don't want to sit here and you know rip on an old teammate or whatever. But was there anything that you saw at Florida State where you thought you know when he, when he was drafted in the first round that maybe he wouldn't be successful or or, or what, what did you why do, why don't you think he was successful? And this is you know, again you, a guy that you've known for you know a long long time. Well, I, I think again when I when I, we talk about a guy that goes in the first round, Sage, you know this well as being a guy. Because I actually remember watching you play when you were with the Redskins. I'm from Virginia Beach, so I grew up watching you play, man. You were a baller. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey. I would say the, the big, give you a little shout out, a little love right there. But as far as Christian and even myself, man, you know when you have the opportunity to go in the first round, and it, like I said, it's it's great. It looks really good, but that situation that you go into, you know, I didn't have a guy to really learn from, and I can't speak on Christian's necessary. You know, I can't speak on his experience, but. You know, I wish I had a guy like you, Sage, to, to be able to show me the ins and outs. Like, hey, on Wednesday, this is what we're going to watch. We're going to watch third down cut-ups of this defense. And on Thursday, we're going to start watching red zone. On Friday, we're going to do this. You know what I mean? Just to kind of lay out a schedule for me. And as a young guy, you know, my, my backup was a, a, a undrafted free agent in Jeff Tool. So, I mean, he and I are literally trying to figure it out, our, you know, together. And then you throw in, you know, two or three knee injuries, you know, your rookie year. So, things can get convoluted really fast. But as far as the Christian, I think, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And uh, a lot of times it's a matter of who they put around you, what type of you know situation you go into, who's your offensive coordinator, who's your quarterback coach, and truly is the team going to have your back. You know, a lot of times that's really what takes it, especially with quarterbacks. I mean, if they have your back and they ride with you, they'll give you the opportunity to really, you know, learn or even sit and learn. But, you know, if a team is just kind of like they chew you up and they spit you out, then you're done. You look up, you only play, you know, three or four years in the NFL. So, you know, that happens. It's a case-by-case basis for everybody. I will never forget Jeff Tool's throw to Marquise Goodwin. It's the fastest I've ever seen a human being run on a football field is Marquise Goodwin. <laughs> yeah. That touchdown. Yeah, that, uh. <laughs> yep, yeah, Goodwin's one of my best friends, too. And I think he's still with, uh, with San Francisco. Uh, I know he was talking about possibly some trade talks. But, yeah, he, 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 he's a high flyer. And, I mean, we had Robert Woods and Sammy mm-hmm. Watkins. So, you even think about that, we had three young receivers. And then, you know, we're young quarterbacks ourselves. And don't get me wrong, I still threw for 1,900 yards my – my rookie year uh, with missing seven games with a knee injury. Um, so, you know, again, it's a case-by-case basis. And, you know, my second year, I kind of got the pull, you know, the chair pulled up from under me. And I just wish, you know, they would have gave me a, that third year to really figure out, like, hey, can I play or can I not play? Because what happened is when I didn't get a chance to play, it, it, my confidence went down, you know. Mm-hmm. And Sage, you know this as a quarterback. Once that confidence gets shot, man, it's hard to get back in that saddle and keep playing at a consistently high level. So, uh, again, that's why I think it's so – important with these quarterbacks you got to treat them they're not like running backs they're not like dbs and not like receivers you got to treat them honestly not, i'm not saying baby them but you just got to be very very delicate in how you put them out there EJ, I, i've said this many many times before if i had to actually play a lot in my first three years in the nfl that would have been it for me i would have played it would have been bad and i would have been done and i was lucky that i didn't play really into my fourth season i think that allowed me to learn all know from from mistakes from other guys or just learn the game or just learn you know the x's and o's all those things that helped me have a much longer career after that so yeah there is a some real challenges to the to the first rounders having to play right away yep 
Hey, uh, EJ, before we let you go, I know you're on a tight time crunch. Give me one Clemson player that the Vikings should draft. Mm, there's so many. Uh, if they get opportunities, <laughs> they'll get Isaiah Simmons, right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I think they uh, – I know they have some linemen that are really good. Um, they have a DB that's really good. To me, uh, what's his name? I think it's Tanner Muse. And I don't know if the Vikings are necessarily trying to get a, a safety. I know they have a really good one in Harrison Smith. Mm-hmm. But to me, Tanner Muse is a guy that I think could play in the NFL for a very long time. His build is very similar to Harrison's. He doesn't have the athletic ability and obviously the awareness that, you know, Harrison's obviously a, a Pro Bowl guy. He'll probably be a Hall of Famer. But to me, he reminds me a lot of him. He has the same size. He's rangy. Uh, he can come off the, uh, off the hash and, and, and boom a receiver on the sideline. So that's one guy I think uh, the, the Vikings should have an eye on. I think he'll fit that team really well defensively. Hey, EJ, great to have you on, man. And keep up the great work on ACC Network. Hope to see you uh, rising up in the media industry, man. Take care. All right, Matt, Sage, you guys take it easy and stay safe. Appreciate yeah, you. For sure. Sage, I think that's the first time another quarterback has ever referred to you as a baller. I, I tell you what, I mean, he must have saw the preseason games. <laughs> season games. But I'm not going to lie to you, the, the second year there when I had Spurrier, I did ball out in that preseason. I played great, and that's yep. – uh, that would, that would sort of got me traded to uh, to the Dolphins because I was sort of the odd man out with the four, you know there's four quarterbacks in the roster two Florida Gator guys that had played for Spurrier and one SEC uh, MVPs and things like that and be the first round draft pick so I was like odd man out but I did play well and I did ball out a little bit so you know the there's a little Redskin uh, uh, fan fandom for Sage still every <laughs> once in a while over there in the, the eastern uh, eastern part of the country. So I, I really thought that his interview was interesting. He talked about, you know, maybe one of the reasons these first-rounders fail a lot is because they do play right away, and maybe why guys like, say, Kirk Cousins or even, you know, Drew Brees, he was a second-round pick, and he, he didn't play. I think he played one game, like week nine, week ten, played a half or something, but Doug Flutie was the starter that year. Yeah, I, I can't right. tell people how much it helps – to sit for a full season, and then as he, as he was saying, if you're a third rounder, you're a fourth rounder, you're not going to be the starter right away. Chances are, so to be able to actually sit and learn and not have that pressure of week to week, I have to be on top of every you know aspect of the game plan because if you do throw in a rookie that's a fourth round draft pick, you got to throw him in in some game. You're going to have sort of a different plan. He's not going to get the whole menu here. He's going to get a limited amount of plays because that's what he's worked on. That's what he can execute. So I thought that was really interesting for him for him to say because obviously he has firsthand knowledge of a guy that had to play right away. Of course, yep. Christian Ponder also played that rookie year. Didn't work out for either one of them. Well, I definitely think that you're right about playing right away and the benefits of sitting. And that would be in terms of does it make sense for the Vikings to draft a quarterback, even if your plan wouldn't be to play him, if at all, um, for a long time. If, if he showed you in practice and preseason and such that he could play, you, you still uh, gives you a much better shot to be successful with that if that player is sitting. Because as you've talked about, the jump is enormous. The jump in pressure, I think, is enormous. To be in an NFL situation where you have all these grown men with giant contracts who are looking to you to carry their team, and and that's a really tough situation. I will never forget being in Buffalo at the time with EJ, where he had gotten off to a decent start to his career in his first four games, and he was 2-2, and 
They were going into Cleveland, and Cleveland actually had a halfway decent team at that moment. Mike Pettin was their coach. Brian Hoyer had a good year there. and uh, Kyle, Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, offensive coordinator. Yep, that's right. So this was like the best Cleveland has been in a long time. And it was a good battle. It was a night game. They're going back and forth. And EJ is looking really good. He's making some throws. And he runs to his left. He takes off and sort of explodes for like a 20-yard run. And as he goes out of bounds, somebody hits his knee just as he was sort of diving to go ahead, which you know the perils of that. Um, but uh, Sorry, I shouldn't have made a Sage Copter joke there, but die, slide next No one time. got it until you said Sage Copter. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Continue. Okay, so anyway, he dives forward. Somebody hits his knee. He gets injured. He's out for four or five weeks. And then Doug Marone is really aggressive in telling E.J. Manuel not to run anymore, which could have been like half of his... Success, I think, if he had run all the time because he was big and athletic and he was kind of a house. And, uh, you know, it could have been like a, like a Culpepper type of running quarterback. And it just seemed to really ruin his confidence. He came back, he didn't play very well. And then they changed coaches. And after that, it was like, you know, it just sort of went downhill. So his point of how quick it kind of goes by if you don't start out really well and then he's out of the league by age like 28. Basically. Well, and that's the thing is when you have a guy who can run, especially when they're young, I know like you sort of want to teach them uh, at some point they have to be a great passer. But when you're young is when you, 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 that's, that's one of the strengths that you have. And to sort of take some, take that away from uh, a player is just like giving them less ammunition and, and playing the game at a higher level. It's just not going to happen. So it's, I think it's good for young guys to run on occasion. They're fearless. It's what they know. It's how you get first down sometimes. It's, but then over time, you have to, you can't just rely on that. But, you know, in your first year or so, it, you, you have to just go with what you know and what you've been doing your whole life and a guy like ej he was a guy that could run and uh you know sometimes coaches man they they stick things especially head coaches uh that weren't quarterbacks like you don't want to stick too many of those types of things into quarterbacks you know a young quarterback's mind because they just have so many things going on already now you're going to go say okay go into this battle and do something and not do one of the things that you've had a lot of success with in the past that doesn't make any sense to me and but i i see coaches do those types of things all the time right so then the next year they bring in matt castle to compete uh, actually two years down the road oh well this is even crazier um so ej ends up going two and two to start the 2014 season and then getting benched for kyle orton and then kyle orton wins a couple of games and everyone thinks oh you know kyle orton this is a classic journeyman thing to do is tease your fan base with some good play and then completely fall apart and then the next year rex ryan is brought in and then you know it goes on from there um, but it really tells Rex you. Rex Ryan about, is like a is like a quarterback's cemetery kind of scenario. It seems <laughs> yes. like, right? I mean, yes. A lot of times they win because the defense is. I mean, we talk about with Zimmer and, and even Kubiak, you know, playing good defense, running the football. Rex Ryan is like that times ten. Yeah, you know, it's yep. like just don't screw it up, quarterback. And you just, I think there's only so far you can go with that type of mindset. I, I will say those those defenses when he was with the Jets, uh, those three years that uh, they went to those championship games, th- that defense was one. They had very good players, but the scheme 
for a quarterback, especially young quarterbacks, very complicated. Just a lot going on. They break a lot of rules. They'll do some some things they'll do that are almost like undisciplined. But, you know, they, he's taking a chance on the third and eight that, like, they'll do something that's a bad, you know, gap-wise for, you know, against the run or something, overload a side with just way too many guys that you, can just, you can't protect. And so, he, you know, he, he makes it really hard on young quarterbacks. He is an aggressive coordinator, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, as far as quarterbacks are concerned, he, like, just doesn't want to have them screw up, and so they never really flourish and grow. And, and you can't, you know, you want to stay away from turnovers, but you can't just harp on it all the time or else your quarterbacks are, are uh, so risk-averse they never end up being very good players. Yes. And uh, we did see that from Case Keenum virtually ignoring Mike Zimmer for an entire year of Zimmer being afraid he was going to throw an interception at a big time, which he did. Uh, but, you know, Keenum heard all the things Zimmer was saying about not taking risks anymore and just was like, whatever, this is my one shot. I'm doing it anyway. And it well, mostly I think paid Keenum off. Is, he's a gunslinger. Yeah, like, that's right. You know, you can't tell him to be a game manager. Yeah, like exactly. This sort of goes like back to the to the EJ conversation, <laughs> excuse me, about him running is that you don't want to take that away from them. And, you know, at the University of Houston with Art Bryles back in the day, it was like Breeze at Purdue. They were throwing the ball 50, 60 mm-hmm. times a game. And so to tell that type of guy who's naturally a gunslinger to, like, hey, slow it down and leave the car in second gear, you're taking it away from him. And, you know, he didn't have the far of arm, so he was sort of a, a gunslinger without the big arm. But, you know, he made a lot of plays that season, crucial plays, that end up winning the Vikings a lot of games, not just, not just the Minneapolis Miracle, but you know, yeah. some other football games, key third downs, um, a whole bunch of plays, and occasionally he'd he'd throw into the other team. But you're gonna have one of those a game, and that's just, if, if your quarterback turns the ball over one time a football game, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you throw ten picks in the season, you have six fumbles. It's not the end of the world. Jameis Winston had thirty-one interceptions alone. So, you know, <laughs> your quarterback is going to turn the ball over. You can't play scared all the time out there. Hey, let me ask you this before we wrap up. Uh, I had asked uh, Myron Metcalf and Courtney Cronin the other day because we're all excited to watch the Jordan documentary, watch the first two parts last night. Uh, if there was a Jordan-style documentary done on one NFL player, mm-hmm. who would you want to watch 10 hours of documentary about one NFL player? Hmm. This is in the prep email. Yeah, um, I know, I know. I, I, I think I never came to the answer, and something, somebody knocked on my door. You know, I, and I, of course, we talk about Favre all the time. But you know, the problem with Brady is I don't see like his interviews being that super interesting, yeah. even like ten yep. years from now. Mm-hmm. And we've heard like Peyton Manning talk so much. We've heard the Manning story. I feel like a million yep. times. You know, where it's the the movie they made with his dad or whatever. Um, and so that's been you know talked about so much, but you know Favre does have a crazy career. Just that that 2009 season, I I've always felt should be some sort of movie by itself. But obviously the the crazy the crazy plays he made early in his career, all the different issues he dealt with, you know, going to rehab and whatever over the course of his career and growing up where he grew up. That to me is a super. You know, very very interesting story that I think would be, you know, probably a heck of a lot of fun to watch. And you, you know, you'd get some of those old Packers on there, probably telling some ridiculous stories about when they were all young, uh, and, and things like that. But I, you know, he, I think he would be up there as one of them. 
Yeah, no, I think that Favre is probably top three answers. Randy Moss already has a 30 for 30 about him, but I could have watched 10 more hours of Randy Moss for sure because he's just one of the most fascinating characters ever. And in a lot of ways, like Jordan, if you're an NFL superstar quarterback, you are so much in the limelight that we all feel like we know you really well behind the scenes. And yet here's the Jordan documentary taking us places where we didn't really know or, or fully understand as much as we thought we did. So, you know, there are probably a lot of answers to this that we wouldn't even know certain teams that you can go behind the scenes. Um, you know, one of us is doing something about 2017 that's a very long thing that we're going to release soon that would be me uh but we'll have more details on that later i love stuff like this sage i it is such a great development that documentaries have become a a major part of our sports consumption i've always liked documentaries i've always been one of those people even when i was a kid uh in not just sports documentaries like hoop dreams was one of my favorite oh, movies yeah. of all yep. time but i just grew up my dad we watched the news and stuff and so you know my, we we i always liked documentaries and uh you know when this whole um uh coronavirus thing happened there's not going to be any sports for a while i'm sitting there going like there's tons of old sports i'd <laughs> yes. love to watch yeah. you can play all sorts of uh, you could play the best Vikings game from last, every single night on NFL Network. They could play two games uh, of you know the one or two uh, from each team, you know, and and people would totally watch them mm-hmm. uh, if you go back in the last ten or or twenty years. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what the ratings have been when they've done that, but you know, I just think there's so many great games out there. I'm sure a lot of people would love to go back, and especially if you can time it out with what normally would be going on right now. Like mm-hmm. I know they sort of replayed the Masters from last year. Of course, last year was a great one, being that it was Tiger Woods. But to go back in time, there's so many great sports. And it's always funny to see uh, uh, you know, just from 15 or 20 years ago how young people look or how different people look or just the, the TV, the quality is not quite as good. By the way, if you want to, uh, to make me really feel really, really old, all right, he talked about the quarterback Jamar Smith all mm-hmm. right, and his dad, Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith played D-lineman at Alabama, played in the NFL for a little bit. He was my roommate at the combine. <laughs> and now his son is... When I, when I heard that name, yeah, I was like, that's oh, great. Can you spend like, oh, that was... And I went into it, and sure enough, yeah, he was the, my roommate at the combine. So not, I'm just aging myself the longer I'm on this show. Well, uh, Antoine Winfield like, Jr. is going to be a first-rounder, so... Yeah, there you go, right? So it happens all, all Patrick old. Sertan, uh, his son is, a, is an Alabama five-star corner. That he'll probably come out like next year or something. I think so. Asante Samuel Jr. too, and it's like really. Yeah, did yeah, we're getting a lot retire? of those, a lot of those guys. Yeah, well, some guys had kids really young, and I did. Yeah. You know, I was, my son's eighteen years old. I was twenty three, but some guys uh, when they're in or just out of high school, and those guys are now NFL players uh, or are going to be or, or looking to be NFL players. So um, it's it's always interesting to to see some of these young guys and. Jamar Smith. Uh, maybe I have to watch a little Jamar Smith today. <laughs> see if he one of those guys the Vikings could pick up in the seventh round. All right, Sage, you're going to be on Wednesday and a part of our draft coverage in the 36 hours of Purple on Thursday as well. So a busy week for you. Get to grinding that tape, and we will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. All right, Courtney Cronin from ESPN comes up next, and we've got some hot routes. We've got some draft grades from previous drafts to go back and look at. Lots to do when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. 
for your chance at free cash. Download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. And Anthony developed into one of our top special teams players. And I see the same thing with Chris Boyd this year happening. But once Anthony got that opportunity to start, uh, and even when he started last year uh, at times, he's proven that uh, he is a phenomenal and one of the best safeties in the league right now. That was Vikings general manager Rick Spielman there, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin now, hour number two of Purple Daily. There will be many, many hours of Purple Daily going forward here. We're going to be doing 36 hours of Purple, which starts at 9 o'clock in the morning on Thursday and then goes all day for, for the rest of your life. That's all we'll do is talk NFL so draft. So much Purple. Yes, so all much purple, purple, so much draft. Purple overload. Also, we are giving away $1,000 to someone who corrects Correctly predicts the first draft pick by the purple in this week's draft. I think I have to say it that way, right, Jonathan? I have to say yes. the purple. Yeah, you can't say the other. Great. Uh, it's that's uh, <laughs> our. We're calling it our draft day 1K giveaway. So all you have to do is download or open the Score North app, register your app, and enter to win uh, listening rewards. You can follow the directions for the draft day 1K giveaway for the purple and read. Now I can call them the Vikings again. So that's fun. Anyway, um, Courtney, we were talking with Sage earlier about the blueprint that the Vikings will tell us about on draft night. And one of the things that they could do to show their hand is what they believe in terms of their philosophy for winning. And that would mean, are they going to stack up around Kirk Cousins and have a shift in philosophy toward offense? Or are they going to try to emulate what they were able to do from 2014 to 2017, which is draft high uh, defensive players like Anthony Barr, Eric Hendricks, even Daniel Hunter, a third round pick, Trey Waynes, and, uh, you know, try to, to build them up, um, you know, in terms of getting a number one defense eventually down the road with these high draft picks. So, which direction do you think would be more likely that they show a shift in philosophy or they sort of double down on what got them to the NFC Championship in 2017? I feel like the shift is already underway. I mean, what did we see last year in the draft? Four straight picks, mm-hmm. starting out with Garrett Bradbury, ending with another offensive lineman and Drew Samia, and then she, and then you get your tight end and your running back in there. Uh, four straight picks spent on offense. And to me, that is the way things are trending for this team, that it is a shift from mindset of where it was from 2014 really through the 2018 season, uh, where the focus was so heavily pitted on defense, and rightfully so. But when you have an you have a, I'm about to call him an $84 million quarterback, when you have a quarterback that you just extended... I think we could still call him that. Okay, we'll call him that. Um, when you have a quarterback, you just <laughs> spent uh, an exorbitant amount of money, a near, another near fully guaranteed deal, extending him for two more years. Now is the time to use the draft to put more pieces around mm-hmm. him because you know that's what you need to do in order for Cousins to succeed. Um, the, the discourse I'm seeing on Twitter, because... You know, there's a bunch of mock drafts out there. Everybody's got their final draft content that they're pushing this week. I think the push and the pull between what needs the Vikings have right now and how they might address them in the draft, but the fact that they're having to draft for need rubs people the wrong way. Well, I'm sorry, that's just the situation that they're in. You don't want to use the draft in a way 
that the Minnesota Vikings are probably going to have to do it in 2020. That's just not how you're supposed to set yourself up. I mean, you use the draft to find your franchise quarterback, to make low-risk moves, to put pieces around your current quarterback, whoever it is. And yeah, the Vikings can do a good bit of that, but I also think that they're going to have to draft for need in so many different areas, whether it's cornerback, whether it's offensive tackle, a need for now and a need for later. Um, edge rusher, at some point, they're going to have to address a need for now and a need for later. This team is in a situation where, yes, everything that you mentioned about the offensive philosophy kind of becoming this shift where this is the identity of this team is true, but they still have to draft for needs, which is why I don't think you'll see four straight picks on offense again this year because there are so many other glaring needs, like cornerback that's probably going to go in the first round. But that being said, getting Cousins the best squad possible and all the pieces around him, starting with the offensive line and, and with wide receiver two, is ultimately priority number one. It's hard actually to figure out whether they'll be drafting best player available or for need because I, they can need I, I, think, I think some of it will be best player available. Yeah, like, they need everything. Like, like so. two, yeah, like two birds with one stone, especially in the first round. Because let's let's say they draft an offensive lineman and they go O line corner. Like, you can't fault him for doing that, even if it's somebody that you don't anticipate playing for Riley Reef right now, if you can't move him or what have you. You're thinking about your two- to three-year plan at left tackle. That's a need for now and probably a best available player if one did fall to you at 22. Um, it, it A lot of it, I think, is one and the same. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a interesting spot for, I think, any team to be in. So what positions could you learn something about the Vikings uh, from? Because I've got two. Uh, Offensive tackle would be one, and defensive end is the other one. I'll I'll explain. Offensive tackle is sort of self-evident, that if you draft a guy at left tackle right now, you probably aren't starting him right away. You Mm -hmm. probably hang on to Riley Reef, and that tells you that you are taking kind of a 2021 soft rebuild type approach if you're spending a first-round pick on that type of player. Uh, Defensive end would be the opposite for me. Defensive end, it, it would be the most sort of panicked, we need this player right now, we have to replace Everson Griffin right away, uh, because they do have developmental projects on this team, including Afadi Adenabo, who showed something last year, and they have been able to rotate players uh, into that spot, even when they missed Everson Griffin for a few weeks in 2018, that, you know, Stephen Weatherly, another guy they developed, went into that spot or, or I could say the same for three technique defensive tackle where you have Armin Watts and Jaleel Johnson could play both positions. And there are other guys, Hercules Mata'afa, that they've been trying to develop to put into that position. If they were to draft one of those two spots in the first round, that would say to me, uh, we are desperate to put this defense back together right away with these draft picks and we need these guys to perform right away or we're going to be in trouble. Uh, I think those are the only two positions you can really learn something from when it comes to this. Yeah, and I and I could understand. Like I, I was doing something for Vikings.com where I was laying through a scenario um, of why they would want to go with the defensive end at number twenty-five, because because you're right, cornerback is the immediate need. Like you have to you have to spend high draft capital because you don't have starting yeah, corners. That's for right short now. and long term. Um, defensive end is interesting though because what if it is best player available at twenty-two or twenty-five, and you have Eater Gross Matos on the board, and you can't pass him up, or even AJ Epinesa, who you know I don't know if he's you know high. I don't know where his ceiling is in in terms of is he a generational talent? No, because he wouldn't be at twenty five. But 
if you're looking long term and you say, well, I could probably get a caliber of cornerback is somewhere in the second round at the same price I'd be spending at 25, or I could get same thing with wide receiver if you address it that way, and that's how you're looking at it. I can understand the rationale there, mm-hmm. but it is going to look like a panicked move because yes. a lot of people are not going to see that as best player available. They're going to be saying, oh, well, Everson Griffin's gone. They need an immediate need. They're, they're drafting for an immediate need while right. not necessarily thinking it's best player available. I, I'm a proponent of it. If it happens, I think that because it'll be the, the way that that will be determined is how the receivers come off the board outside yep. of the top five and then how the top four, five, six offensive tackles come off the board because that's going to push the cornerbacks down and that's going to push your defensive ends, your edge rushers down. Um, so that's... You know, if those guys are available to the Vikings at 25, I can't fault Rick for making that pick. Uh, does it help you right now? Do you need that one right now? Yes, but you're also looking beyond that at the long term because I think there are ways to generate. At least, you know, we've talked about this with the rotation, basically to try to yep. fill the production that you got with Everson Griffin for a long period of time. Right, and there are still rotational edge rushers who are on the free agent market who have sure. not found homes yet. That you can sign for pretty cheap. I saw what was it? Adrian Claiborne is one of those guys for a long time that has been a nice rotational rusher. He signed with somebody, I think maybe Cleveland, for pretty cheap. And uh, you know, I've brought up the Terrell Suggs idea that he was still good winning the Super Bowl with Kansas City. If he's not hanging it up, maybe you get him to come back to Minnesota or something. And, and you can always find those types of players or the guy that they signed in free agency, Anthony Zettel, that he might become one of those rotational rushers i think that position is one where you can wait on for the future to draft somebody at defensive end especially in a class that isn't really all that impressive and yeah. each guy it's has like some, some big yeah and i mean each guy has big questions like you said about epinesa like is he quick enough to be able to win at the nfl level uh, gross matos and chase on are they guys who are sort of high ceiling but need a lot of development um so that would that would kind of change the formula a little bit there too i guess so let's talk about it this way what each position, what drafting each position would say about the Vikings' direction. So you mentioned wide receiver. Would wide receiver say that they feel like Thielen as the only proven option is not going to be enough? Or would it just sort of be obvious? Like, well, yeah, we should get Kirk Cousins more weapons if we have a chance in a really good draft. And you're saying this with the first-round picks. We're only talking yeah, about the first Yeah, round, only right? first-round picks and then well, maybe to some extent Well, I think, I think that says both. They know yeah. that they can't have... Thielen is your number one option. Um, I mean, we saw that last year, and or even beyond that, in, in 2018 at times, um, when Thielen was when Diggs wasn't able to play. I think that New Orleans game was the game that snapped the streak that Thielen had the hundred yards receiving uh, to start the season, or was it the game after? It was Detroit, the game after. Yeah. Nonetheless, yeah. Um, I, I think you need to have two receivers of that caliber. I don't mm-hmm. think that you're putting yourself in any position to succeed if you're just leaving it up to Thielen. So I understand it from that perspective, but also if they do draft a first-round receiver, which I really don't think they're going to do given how deep the class is, you understand it from the sense that it's just kind of obvious. I mean, that this is the most talented group uh, in the 2020 draft class, and there's going to be a lot of really talented players uh, at that position who get drafted, but beyond that, if you have a guy, like if you are dead set on Denzel Mims um, being, or Justin Jefferson being like your guy that you absolutely have to have, you're going to use a first round pick on right. him. You're not going to chance it and say, well, maybe I could get two uh, for the price of one, essentially. Like, I, I think that 
that rationale is totally acceptable, and I and I could totally understand why the Vikings would do that. Now, if they don't, does it say something about it? Because it maybe no. yeah, if they don't take one in the first two rounds, that tells me that Gary Kubiak thinks. All right, we should be able to handle this with one wide receiver. We like what B.C. Johnson has done. All we need is one other guy to step up. Maybe it's Tajay Sharp or B.C. Johnson or Alexander Hollins. Who knows? But all we need is someone else to step up, and it would show a tremendous amount of belief in Irv Smith, which I actually yeah. think that they have. I do, too. And, and and just to clarify, like I, I do think that it would be very telling of that. Uh, I don't think that they will go two rounds without drafting a wide receiver. Yeah. I think they absolutely have to uh, at some point there. I mean, but to me, that tells you, what did Mike Zimmer say? Everything's going to be the same on offense this year, uh, more or less. And if they don't want to modernize or try to improve upon from where they were last year, if they just want to run a bunch of 12 and 22 personnel and you know rely heavily on the passing attack with your tight ends, that's fine. Um, but that's what that sign points to, that Irv Smith is going to make a tremendous jump this year in terms of targets, and, and that's cool. That's fine. It's just I do think you need to find a wide receiver somewhere in the top, you know, your top four picks. I mean, that that's that's an obvious one to me. Um, you cannot you can't you can't you cannot just rely on Adam Thielen. And I think that yes, B.C. Johnson probably is ready to make the you know take on a bigger role last year. We saw what happened when Thielen was out and, and his snaps increased. Um, but I wouldn't leave that to chance and say, well, yeah, the seventh-round pick from last year, like uh, we think he's ready to make the, the jump. And Chad Beebe, we think he's healthy. He's ready to make the jump. I, I just wouldn't leave that to chance, just given the discrepancy from where Diggs' production was to the other guys that I mentioned. Yeah, so, I mean, as much as I think that um, you know someone like Chad Beebe has potential and B.C. Johnson, too, it makes too much sense in a draft that has all sorts of uh, great prospects at the wide receiver position to take one of the best and put them right into the mix and receiver is a position that it still deserves some development and needs some development for guys to take a big step in year two but in year one they can at least be contributors so if you draft a guy and he ends up with 50 catches or something like that um, that's going to be a big contribution to an offense that has a number one receiver and a number of weapons and is going to use its running back um, you know pretty often so um Coming up later, we got some hot routes to get to, which I sent to you, and I hope you saw because I had them written for Sage, but we talked about you know some other things, so we got behind. So you can study those in the break. But I also asked you to make a list of your five most interesting teams heading into draft night. So would you like some uh, Courtney R. Draft Scout or uh, some NFL music? I mean, or something? I think NFL music for sure. But you know, this is the last week. Yeah, I would so assume we, that right. we get to use Courtney R. Draft Scout. So I hope you use it for everything, including when Judd's on the show. Yeah, we definitely should go ahead who has the quickest twitch whose hips are the most oily who has the quickest long snap hand sizes wingspans oh no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than courtney r draft scout all right so i asked you to make a list of your top five most interesting teams in draft week the floor is yours ms draft scout so Everyone's up in arms about the Dolphins and the Chargers and the order of which Tua and Justin Herbert are going to go. But obviously before you get to those picks, you have to get through number three, which is the Detroit Lions. To me, they are the most interesting team in this whole thing because they could really mess some stuff up here. Oh, yes. uh, if they yeah. don't, if they go like true Lions form as like as how they would do during the season. 
and, and lions their way through the draft, <laughs> this could get really wild. Well, I, need to, um, I need to use that in real life. Just like, uh, what what happened? You were supposed to wash the car. Uh, I, I lions it up and scratched the entire side of it. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, so we know that they don't need a quarterback right now. Um, they guaranteed Chase Daniel $5 million as a backup uh, to Matthew Stafford. They're sticking with Stafford this year. But... Best player available at that situation at that position is going to be Tua because if if all indications are that Washington is not going to pull a fast one and they're going with Chase Daniel, I don't know. I mean, Matthew Stafford is a very good quarterback, and if they want to move on from him next year, that's next year. I would think that they would give it a hard look before passing and taking Jeffrey Akuda or um, you know Simmons. I, I just you know. Something to me tells, like, just kind of foreshadows that this whole thing is not all cut and dry, and they're not going to play it safe on draft night. Yeah, that could be a, a total game changer if they say, you know what, we're picking two of them, we're going to have him sit for a year, and then he's going to be our franchise quarterback. Uh, that would be a shock. I haven't seen that mocked anywhere, but it makes me just neither. too much darn sense, I know. though. And, like, the whole thing about them trading down, apparently, and I know Schefter had reported reported this, there aren't a whole ton of teams that want to trade up. Yeah. Um, at least into that part of the draft. Now, if Tua falls past the Dolphins, past the Chargers, which I, I'm not advocating for, I don't think that's going to happen, but if he gets outside of the top 10, then that leads to my number two most interesting draft team on draft night, New England Patriots. Oh, okay. Quarterback. Uh, Will they select one? Will they trade up for one if Tua falls? That seems like a Patriotsy thing to do if he slipped to, say, like 10 or something, yes. that they would jump all the way up and spend a bunch of draft capital to get Tom Brady's replacement. I think that the Raiders at 12 would be in prime mm. position to trade with New England. Um, let's say the 23rd pick, which is where New England's picking in the first round. Uh, they've got like three third-round picks, I think, this year. couple one of those in there, and then next year's second. To Fertua, because the price is going to drop if he goes out every spot he goes outside of the top 10. I don't think Bill Belichick is willing to risk it all to move into the top five. It's just it's just too expensive. You'd be trading two first round picks for that. And it would be just astronomical to what it would do to you down the the line. Um, But if his price starts dropping, I think New England is making the call. All right. What is your third most interesting team? Well, you know, I'm I'm not trying to beat up on Dave Gettleman. Uh, I do think <laughs> something's going to happen that he's going to mess this up on draft night just with his internet connection. But Giants they, are interesting, though. I know they are really interesting. As we talked with Jordan Renan about last week on Purple Daily, um, all the weird things that could happen for them. I mean, Daniel Jones is apparently their guy, and they're not picking a quarterback at number four. I think that. Um, Jordan had them going with Tristan Wirfs. Some offensive line seems like the most obvious answer, but something doesn't sit right to me uh, with them at this spot. I know they want to trade back, but if they don't get any takers, do they decide to go best player available? I, I mean, if Daniel Jones is your guy, that's one thing. I really, you know, and, and it seems like the way that they did it last year, picking him as high as they did, that alludes to that. But I don't know. Something just isn't. I'm just not able to pass on that one either. What would them be totally botching it? Remember last year when the Raiders shocked everyone by taking Cleveland Farrell? And we were like, what? 
Like, you know, I, I mean, thought guy, he was going at like right. 25. Yeah, right. A guy was mocked consistently at the bottom of the first round, and they took him with something like, I don't know, fourth overall. Yeah. And that was just stunning. Why would you do that at that position? Even if you love the guy, that position is not worth it unless he's a Chase Young level player to draft that high. What would be the, oh my God, they just giants so hard? If they took... Would it be like Denzel Mims or something? Like if they took it would Denzel have to be Mims, a receiver really yeah, high, but right. it would it would not be C.D. Lamb or Henry Ruggs. Right. Or, if they took um, Jefferson or something yeah. really really high, or if they took like Austin Jackson, yes, who was like yeah, the that's, fifth that's of the, the right four. Answer. He's like the fifth uh, in succession. There's four tackles that are four offensive linemen that yep. are considered better than him. If they did that, or if they took like Patrick Queen, the linebacker yes, from LSU, yes. you that it, seems yes, like a very exactly right. Giants move. Yes, you you are right on with Austin Jackson and Patrick Queen <laughs> at fourth overall. And uh, I was laughing at Ian Rappaport's tweet about a general manager telling him that this is the wrongest that. Uh, the mock drafts have ever been. So I guess we'll find out if that's true. All right. Your most interesting team heading into the NFL draft. Now, are, did you intentionally avoid the Vikings or are you going to pick the Vikings here? No, I mean, I, I have five. You told me to pick five. Oh, I'm sorry. That, I thought that was number I'm on four. No, I'm on number four now. It's the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's interesting. A team that wants to trade both of its first round picks. I just do. Team that didn't do anything in free agency. I'm going to keep saying on the show, I've made a huge mistake. Have you ever watched Arrested Development, Courtney? No. Oh, okay. I've been watching a lot of it, and that's a, a line from the show. So since you don't know it, we'll just move on quickly. San Francisco. Uh, two first, 13 and 31. Two first-round picks for the team that was just in the Super Bowl is a pretty good play by the San Francisco 49ers. Do you think that they would use 31 to trade up or, uh, to, to maybe draft a receiver to replace Emmanuel Sanders, or or should they move back from 13? Moving back from 13 makes a lot of sense. Well, they also don't have any picks in the second, third, or fourth rounds right now. Who needs uh, those? uh, I think they want to trade back, and that's a very obvious thing. It's just who, who are the bidders at that point when you basically say the doors are open for both picks? You're going to probably have a lot of calls, at least you'd like to think. Um, And let's say 13. I mean, I don't see, again, I don't see Tua going past the Dolphins. Um, By the grace of God, if he's there at 13, I think New England's calling. Okay. I think so, too. Um, I wonder with New England, aren't they the exact team that would have some quarterback that you didn't expect at all and they trade up and pick them or, or, or something, right? Like Jacob Eason. Yeah, Eason. No one's talked about it at all, and they just select him. They trade up and select him at 13. We're all like, what? Who? Huh? How? Why? I mean, he's a, what, a third-round yeah. pick? Yeah, and then best? he'll immediately be a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. I mean, it happens. Okay. If, if this is the wrongest draft. The wrongerest. Is, the- wrongerest. is the right word. <laughs> um, so who's number one on your list? Number one, well, no, I not, Lions were number one. I went the other order. Oh, um, okay. I still I've put, made another mistake. I who's number five? I didn't put the Vikings in this list because I didn't want to be biased. Um, obviously, I think they're interesting because they've got twelve picks, and I think that the, by the time this is all over, they'll probably have fifteen. Um, so, R.I.P. to my sanity the next uh, couple <laughs> Conference days. Conference calls. Um, I, I put Miami at number five. They've got three first-round picks. Their rebuild seems to have gone faster than anyone anticipated. Mm -hmm. It all lines up for them to fix 
their entire offense in this draft. Uh, when you look at, you could get your potential left tackle in Austin yep. Jackson. Um, if they pick him at 18, I mean, he would be the next one in line, at least in my mind, uh, outside of top four. Um, and then they need an edge rusher, too. I mean, yeah, they spent a whole ton of money on defense um, in free agency. So why not if Eter Gross Matos is there, if AJ Epines is there, if Chason's there? Um, why not at 26, I believe, is where they pick, go and get best player available at that position, and then you can keep adding to your defense. I think they could hit a home run here. Yeah, with all, those the, three all picks. the teams, all the teams with multiple first round picks become instantly fascinating because of their opportunities to move around. The thing with the Dolphins that interests me the most is: will they take? Justin Herbert, if he's there, or is this Justin Herbert hype totally smokescreen? Feels like it. With him and Jordan Love, it's hard. Well, NFL being NFL, like taking a giant guy with a huge arm who isn't that good is a thing that they definitely do. But I wonder if we've advanced as a society here enough (laughs) to have seen this go wrong enough times to where it's just like, yeah, we're going to play it up and make it seem like we might take that guy, even though that's not who we want to take. And and I, I could see either one of those guys surprisingly dropping in the draft. So uh, let's take a break. I've got some hot routes for you when we return. Plus, I wanted to go back uh, because of something someone said to me on Twitter about how you can't grade a draft for a couple of years. Which, you know, so I guess we'll just shut down the station after Friday. <laughs> we'll just sit quietly and wait for three years so we could talk about this year's draft. Um, but, you know, it's been a couple of years for some of these Mike Zimmer drafts. So let's grade them when we return. It's uh, Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin on Score North. Score North is all in for Vikings Draft Week. It's 36 hours of purple starting Wednesday at 11 a.m. and running all the way through the first round of the NFL Draft on Thursday night. Yes, you heard it right. 36 straight hours of purple talk presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group this Wednesday and Thursday on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North is giving away $1,000 to someone who correctly predicts the first draft pick by the Purple in this week's draft. It's the Draft Day 1K giveaway. Here's how you can win. Download or open the Score North app, register your app, and enter to win in listening rewards, and follow the directions for the Draft Day 1K giveaway. That's over on the Score North mobile app. Over at scorenorth.com right now, Matthew Collar and Judd Zalgad have dueling articles talking about what the Vikings draft strategy will say about the Vikings blueprint going forward. So go check those out for free as well as Matthew Collar's look at any mid to late round quarterbacks that might be worth a shot for the Vikings. All of that is free over at scorenorth.com and over on the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, the other day... Courtney, I was on the internet on Twitter and I made a comment about how the Minnesota Lynx had made a great draft selection in the second round getting Crystal Dangerfield from UConn. Anytime you get a UConn point guard in the second round of the draft, you've done pretty well for yourself. And the first comment back was, yeah, we'll see in a couple of years whether that works out. We certainly will. Uh, and it's one of the, the hardest things about the draft is to grade it right after it happens because I don't know how it's going to work out. Nobody else does. The Vikings got A's for Laquan Treadwell and the Seattle Seahawks got D's for Russell Wilson. So like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to. So in my mind, what you do when it's a draft that just happened, you go by the process. 
last year's process of getting offensive players to stack around Kirk Cousins, an offensive lineman, uh, a tight end, another offensive lineman. The running back maybe was a little wonky, but still he's a good player. That was the only one that people were, by the way, like super like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. because they traded back 14 Mm -hmm. times and then picked a running back. It was like, uh, I don't know if replacing Latavius Murray was the thing to do. But if that's the only one you question, all right, no big deal. Um, When they drafted Mike Hughes, we questioned the process of not picking an offensive lineman at that time and so forth. So that's how you have to do it, right? Mm -hmm. But now we have full hindsight with Every Mike Zimmer draft and probably half hindsight with the 2019 draft. So let's go through them and I want you to give draft grades and then I've got some hot routes to finish out the show. Okay. okay. So 2014, the Vikings picked Anthony Barr, Teddy Bridgewater, Scott Crichton, who basically never played. Um, and Jarek McKinnon are, are your top picks there. Shamar Stefan toward the late rounds. Antoine Exum was in that draft, too. That's right. Uh, rapper Antoine Before Exum. That's not music. a joke. Actually, he might have been making music then. but yeah, Maybe he just didn't have the technology to put it out yeah. there. But, you know, I mean, if you draft a guy in the sixth round who plays 60 NFL games or 50 NFL games, mm-hmm. like, it was a pretty good draft pick. How would you grade the 2014 Vikings draft? So when I looked at this one, and obviously 15, and I'm thinking about, players who are on the roster and who are not on the roster anymore. Um, That's like the hard part for me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's when you're grading a draft and you're looking about like the long-term implications of it, you either have to factor in um, why teams moved on from players and why they didn't and either do that or don't include that a part of any of it. Like, I think this is probably an A draft, maybe an A minus. Um, B plus at best or at worst, you know, you had your franchise quarterback. You couldn't prevent anything from happening the way that it did with Teddy Bridgewater. So I just had to throw that out. Um, Anthony Barr is, has been a staple, a cornerstone of this defense his entire career. And Jarek McKinnon was really, really good. You just decided that you wanted to go a different route when you had Dalvin Cook available to usher in the new era beyond Adrian Peterson. Shamar Steffen's on the roster right now. They clearly liked him enough to, you know, release him, and then he goes to Seattle, and then he comes back. Um, I thought it was a pretty good draft by and large. I don't know if maybe A is a little bit too high. I'll go with B plus of this draft. That's my final answer. Okay, the Teddy one makes it hard because you drafted a good quarterback. You you traded back in to get him. Got you into the playoffs in his second season. Came very, very close to leading a game-winning drive. Right there, if you draft someone who does that for you in one season, that person is pretty valuable to you, and he looked like he was going to be their franchise quarterback. So that one you have to give an extremely high grade to, even though we'll never know how it played out. The bar one, there's been a lot of ups and downs there, but when you draft someone who's a four-time Pro Bowler, even though we've gone "Mm," sometimes at his Pro Bowls still, You've done well for yourself. And as you mentioned, you got a seventh-round hit. You got a sixth-round person who did uh, some things for you and became a a decent NFL player. I'm going to give it overall, I'd say it is a B-plus draft to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, a a big contributor in your 2017 season. Um, Yeah, there are more hits than misses in this one. And for successfully drafting a franchise quarterback at the time, or at least how it looked like it was going, you get a very high grade for this one. Now, 2015, if there's any draft to give an A-plus to, it's the 2015 draft. That might have been the best draft. I I wrote a piece about this earlier this year, that in terms of wins above replacement by Pro Football Focus, this was the highest of any draft from that season. Trey Waynes, Eric Kendricks, Daniel Hunter, 
<clears throat> TJ Clark. <laughs> I knew you were going there. Michael Pruitt's still in the league. And, of course, Stephon Diggs. Nobody passed the sixth round. But you can't nitpick with a fourth-round tackle that didn't really work out when you get Stephon Diggs in the yeah. fifth. I, I give it a solid A. Like, I mean, there's – the reason I don't give it an A-plus is – Again, like, what am I judging it on? Well, a lot of those guys aren't on the roster anymore. Diggs isn't on your roster. Waynes is not on your roster. I mean, those were massive contributors here, uh, and you couldn't find a way to keep them beyond, uh, you know, too long after when they were drafted. So that's my only holdup with that. But that's not necessarily how you should be judging an entire draft class. I mean, you got massive contributions out of all four of those guys the entirety of their career. Yeah, can't do I mean, much better than that. It's, when you select a starter, a three-year starter in Trey Waynes out of his five years here uh, on defenses that were at the top of the league, and that's not even your best pick, you've done really, really well. The only nitpick you could take it from an, uh, an A-plus to an A would be the difference between Marcus Peters and Trey Waynes. Peters has been a little bit problematic for some of his teams, but he's been a better overall corner than Trey Waynes was for the Vikings. Much more of a, a difference maker when it came to interceptions, pick sixes, things like that. But you drafted an all-pro in Eric Hendricks, a, a multiple-time pro bowler in Daniil Hunter, and Stephon Diggs, who deserved to be probably in multiple Pro Bowls. And even with Stephon Diggs, he's not on the roster anymore, but you got a first-round pick back for him for someone that you selected in the fifth round. So very difficult to nitpick that one. Now here's where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. Is 2016, it, I mean, can you give it anything short of like a D-minus for this draft? Laquan Treadwell, Mackenzie Alexander was a fair contributor for a season and a half where he actually played well. Willie Beavers, the fourth-round pick, got cut in his first camp. Kentrell Brothers, a um, you know, special, a guy, teamer. special teamer in the fifth. You probably even aim higher than that. David Morgan was a decent like number three tight end. Steven Weatherly is the best pick of this draft outside of Mackenzie Alexander, but it's hard to give them any sort of decent grade for 2016. Yeah, I give it a C- minus because they had a lot of role players there that they just decided to move on from with Weatherly, Curse, um, guys that they... This past year, they couldn't afford to bring back, and they ended up signing elsewhere in free agency. Um, The Treadwell one is obviously going to be the big black eye from this. I mean, it looks terrible. Um, And that's the one that they're going to kind of have to eat crow on for a little bit, just because you spent, you know, know, the 23rd pick when, refresh my memory, they had other needs than wide receiver in that draft when they could have gone a little bit later. Like yeah, in, yeah. I mean, wide year. wide receiver made a lot of sense at the time because you didn't know that Adam Thielen was yes, going to become correct. Adam Thielen. So I I always like with this one at the time we would have given it a fairly high grade because you think oh you got this SEC wide receiver who was just uh, fantastic put up huge huge numbers at Ole Miss and you know he should step right in and make a big contribution. So at the time this great this draft probably got graded pretty high for grabbing also Alexander, who was a a key player on a great Clemson team that went to the national championship, and it just didn't work out. And the best player is probably Steven Weatherly. He's the one, and and the way I would do it is he's the one who got paid the most in free agency. Sure. I mean, Moritz Bowringer becomes kind of an LOL. But, you know, when your first pick in the draft, it is so valuable for you to hit on that one, and it doesn't work out. That's where I, I I have trouble even giving it a C when your guy has one catch the first year of his entire career. Yeah, not good. Um, 
C minus, I think is fair, just because I'm looking at like some of the contributions that they did get from you know David Morgan was he, he just had been injured the entire time most of his Viking career, so I mean that's been hard to judge. Um, Curse had flashes, but he wasn't really a consistent. I mean there were so many other issues there, and yeah, Weatherly was your best bet from that class. Um, it's tough looking at this one because I just look at those like back to back one and two um, and how that panned out and just how much of a missed opportunity that feels like. All right. So 2017, Delvin Cook, the pet Elfline pick after the first year we would have thought was. Oh, like, we thought it was tremendous. like an awesome pick. It was a home and run. Then, and then it wasn't. Jaleel Johnson, Ben Gideon, Rodney Adams, Danny Isadora, Bucky Hodges, Stacey Coley, Afadi Adenabo. Elijah Lee, who I have no recollection of, and Jack Tocho. Um, <laughs> you love you some Jack Tocho. You know, here's the thing. This wouldn't this go away. This is what this is partly why the Vikings are in the situation that they're in, is because these two drafts, 2016 and 2017, were not good. That they didn't land a Eric Kendricks or a Daniil Hunter or a Stefan Diggs in the later rounds. There are no contributors here past the second round. And even though Delvin Cook is a hit in terms of how good the guy was. He was every bit as good as you thought. It isn't really the same kind of hit when it's a running back. When it's a position that you can replace, it's not a home run. And none of these other guys. I mean, eh, Jaleel... I, I don't know if I agree with that entirely. I feel like Jaleel Johnson and certainly Afadi Odenabo mm. have contributed. How many starts does Jaleel Johnson have now three years into his career? Like two? I think that they've kind of relegated him, at least at this point, where they like what he presents as a backup nose tackle and he gives you the position flexibility to play three okay back when you say backup nose tackle i give no credit i mean i I like jaleel but i give zero credit for drafting a backup nose tackle right i mean you can't go like if you're adding up points all right so you draft daniel hunter in the third you get a million points like how many do you get for a backup nose tackle in the fourth it's got to be like point three uh i mean anybody in the whole world that you drafted in that situation gives you as much value if you drafted a punter he's probably as valuable as a backup nose tackle ben gideon a third linebacker who barely played and then got hurt danny isadora gave them nothing bucky hodges has some of the funniest behind the scenes stories of all time uh stacy coley the only highlight Stacey Coley ever gave them was dropping the ball in the end zone and almost giving the Packers a touchdown. This draft is probably another D. I mean, Elfline is barely playable in the NFL at this point. I mean, you're getting almost no value from 2017 and 2016. I, I gave it a C. I, I think, did I say it's C minus for 16? And then. And aside I, from, yeah, okay. This, I, I could buy into a C. very average um, outside of Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Like, and, and, I, and I get it. Like, I'm not, I mean, but I do think that. It's not fair to say there haven't been contributions from Johnson and Odenabo. I mean, you need to eventually get those guys who are going to be role players their entire career. Yeah, Odenabo could end up turning yeah, out to be a great absolutely. pick. Absolutely. Though and you we'll cut be him twice. At it differently. You know. I cut him to. Oh, yeah, they cut no, him twice. No, not you. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, okay, so that could turn out to be a great pick, but you almost lost him because you didn't believe in him twice. Uh, yeah, I mean, the. The fact that Delvin Cook is a great player also has to be sort of weighed with he hasn't really played a full season. If you draft someone in the second round and we don't tell you who it is and we say, yeah, the guy's real talented, but he hasn't played a full season in three years. Like, Did, did you sign up for only 2,100 yards in three seasons out of Delvin Cook when you drafted him there? Like, No, no. you didn't. So that, that one's not a hit at all. Uh, I think this is. I think it's back-to-back drafts that I would have trouble giving a C to, 
And, you know, circumstances are definitely part of it. You couldn't have predicted that Cook or Elfline would get injured. But, you know, if we're doing the hindsight grade only, how it's worked out, how much value you've gotten out of it, yikes, not a lot from either one of those drafts. Now, 2018 is a little different because you end up with Mike Hughes, who the book is still not written on, Brian O'Neill, which is a home run draft pick at 62, looks like a franchise tackle. After that, though, again... Jalen Holmes, Tyler Conklin, Daniel Carlson is an F-minus pick. Colby Gossett, Adearuna, Devontae Downs. I don't think it's an F-minus pick. I think it was an F-minus handled situation because he's doing doing pretty well right now. But but in terms of how it worked out, it couldn't have been worse. He he cost you a game and then gave you nothing else the rest of his career because you were forced to cut him. You can't do worse than that. No, that's true. But I I don't think the draft pick itself was... There was anything wrong with so it. So you have to. Well, but yes, about, I mean, if I was just looking at it through that through a vacuum, essentially. But yes, I mean, you're right. They gave up a fifth round. I mean, they cut a fifth rounder two weeks into the season. In, in terms of how bad a draft pick could possibly be, if you take someone in the fifth round and they never set foot on an NFL field, that's way better than coming onto an NFL field, missing a bunch of field goals, and tying a game. Like that's way better. Is his wins above replacement for you is is a minus. So you're well, saying the Kari Vedvik situation this past year where they gave up a fifth-round pick was better, better than the better way than that Daniel Carlson, Carlson played Yes, This, is, this is only the hindsight for how it actually worked out, not judging the logic at the time, but how it worked out. It is one of the worst draft picks of whatever. I mean, can you do worse than picking someone who comes onto the field basically four times, screws up three times, and ends up out of there the next week? No. You no, can't. you can't. <laughs> What's this one? Is this a I, C? I, I struggle with this one because you're right. We just don't know about Mike Hughes yet. But if I'm judging it off Brian O'Neill alone, that's yeah. going to probably jump it up um, maybe half a grade. I gave this one a B minus. Yeah. Because we also like, you know, they really seem to like Tyler Conklin. And I'll be curious now, depending upon what they do with receiver, how this offense shifts. Like, what does Tyler Conklin become in this scheme? Because he showed some promise last year. He's played 31 games. Like, that one is still waiting to be... You know, the book's still waiting to be written on him, but I don't know. Like, unless Jalen Holmes, like, becomes this, like, terrific pass rusher this year, I I don't know about that pick and a fourth-round pick. But the fourth round is a sweet spot for them in finding defensive linemen, so that's cool. Um, Yeah, book's not written on either Hughes or Holmes. Hughes is the hardest one for me because your first-round pick matters the most. So far, Hughes has given you basically nothing. Yeah, and it it will be different after this year. Like, if he is somebody that is going to take over the nickel roll and be awesome or take over one of the outside spots... um, and really, how he can help your cornerback situation with that position flexibility may give us a year from now, yeah. once we see how the season's played out, um, a different view of this whole thing. I would give this one a straight C because you got one really good player out of it, but um, nothing else to this date. And if we go back a year from now and Hughes is all pro, then this will change entirely. And then last year's draft, um, at this moment, I would have to give it probably you know another C. You get Irv Smith, who's very good, great value in the second round, but Bradbury did not give you above replacement play, and and of course it all will hinge on that. Um, But here's the the point about where this roster is at at this moment in terms of why they've had to spend so much on other positions, whether it was you know signing Anthony Barr, for example, or 
you know, um, keeping Xavier Rhodes around is because they just haven't had many hits in quite a while on guys who were not drafted high. And even guys drafted high haven't been that great. So 2016, you have zero players who were really good in 2016. You have one in 2017, and he's an injured running back. You have one in 2018, and he's a tackle. And you have one in 2019 that we think is going to be good in Irv Smith. Like their recent drafting has just not given you a whole heck of a lot. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons they're in the position they're in. So we're not saying, oh, corner, just turn it over to those corners that you drafted. Oh, you know, defensive line. Oh, you're set there. You drafted Jalen Holmes, Jaleel Johnson, Armin Watts. Like you're good to go. Um, that was something that really worked for them in 2014 and 15, but not so much in the recent drafts. They have been fortunate that their undrafted free agent class for the last few years has been really good, by and large. I mean, we think about Eric Wilson joining this yep, team. Yep. Um, we'll see on Holton Hill, but sure, yeah, we'll see on Holton Hill. But I mean, they obviously kept him around because they think he's a really good player. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done that. Um, you know, beyond that, I mean, Chad Beebe, can he be a contributor this year? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that they've had a good process with UDFAs where it hasn't always had to rely on their draft classes. I mean, it's amazing. Some of their undrafted free agents, how they've outperformed draft picks. Um, and there are a lot of notable cases of that, but it just, some of it feels very, the last like few years feels very incomplete to me. Um, ever since 2015 in that draft class, because at least we got to kind of see like a full cycle, yeah. you know, with those guys. Yeah, that's four, true. Yep. Four years, like, um, you know, ever since then. I mean, think about the guys that aren't even on the roster. Uh, there's two players currently under contract, or at least uh, that could be. You know, Kentrell Brothers. I don't believe resigned in free agency. Like that, starting with that 16 class, it could be Kentrell Brothers and David Morgan. Morgan's contract hold. So technically, there's one player under contract right mm-hmm. now from that 16 class it's yep. not a good sign no not really and this this actually speaks to draft nihilism which i mean i don't think that the vikings are like bad at drafting i think it just hasn't worked out when you look at some of those picks that they made even the daniel carlson pick could be justified the guy's a great college kicker and why would it be different they're the same goalposts it's supposed to be easier in the nfl but the pressure is a lot different um and you go through a lot of these where, uh, you know, someone like Bucky Hodges, it's a sixth round pick, but what? Uh, what was George Kittle? So George Kittle was like a fifth. So George Kittle works out, has some of the same concerns. He was a big guy. He's really fast. But he was like, can he block? I don't know. Turns out he's a monster blocker in the NFL. And he's very smart, too, and fits into an NFL system. And it just all clicks. Bucky Hodges... Whatever I just said about George Kittle, exactly take the opposite for Bucky Hodges, and it didn't work out at all. And so, you know, sometimes you use the right process and analytics and scouting and everything else, and it just doesn't work out for these guys. And like you said, the book is still uh, open on some of them, but recent lack of drafting success past the first and second round has put them in kind of this tough position. So this is going to be a fun week, Courtney. Lots of draft simming, lots of Courtney, our draft scout, lots of draft nihilism. I mean, Thursday can only get here soon enough. Yes, I am absolutely ready. All right, well, we will continue to talk with you throughout the week. I'll have to check on when. Uh, <laughs> Spielman's talking tomorrow, so it's sort of thrown everything for a loop. But uh, it'll be a fun week for sure, and we will be here for you. And tonight, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, I'll be taking over the uh, Score North account and doing a Q&A. So that'll be fun as well. We will catch you tomorrow on Purple Daily. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. 
Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.